The devil made me do it. Is it possible that there are unseen evil forces that manipulate us and get us to do things that we don't want to do? Now, I want you to think back to your childhood for a moment. Think back to that time in your life where you disobeyed. You intentionally went against what your parents wanted for you. Why, why, why do we all do that? I, I called my parents this week to ask them about some of my early rebellion, because I don't remember some of the earliest. And I should start off by saying, when I was born, I looked a lot like I do now. There we go. And my mom told me, she said she remembers as soon as I started to walk, whatever it was, 14, 15 months, I started touching the very things they would say, do not touch. And they knew I knew what I was doing because I had a little grin on my face. And they'd say, don't touch it, and I would. Now, what is in there, right? What is in us that at the earliest age possible, when you think about it for a moment, I may have been doing that before 14 months if I could do something besides just lay on the floor, right? And then she tells me that when I was about three years old, I started carrying all my toys. Uh, a friend of hers was over with her little boy, and I started bringing all my toys over to my mom, and she finally said, Eric, what are you doing? And I said, Mom, would you hold these? That boy is trying to play with my toys. I was not a good sharing type of kid. And then my brother was born, and it just went all downhill from there. <laughs> but as a scholar, my mom told me uh, that I once, a few years after this picture, by the way, I did have hair at certain seasons <laughs> of my life, from about 2 to 26 is about when I had hair. And as a scholar, I actually, a few years after this picture, I threw away an entire homework packet because I thought it was a stupid assignment. As a 10-year-old, I knew better than my teacher. And so she failed me in three classes. And it was a lesson learned. My mom begged her for a chance to let me finish this homework packet. And around the same time as this picture, when I was early fifth, sixth grade, some, or excuse me, five, six, seven years old, I was a soccer player. As an athlete, I had issues as well. There I am. You see my big boy teeth and my baby face. And uh, I played soccer just a few years before this picture was taken. I was a goalie. Now, have you ever watched like five-year-olds play soccer? There's like no real positions. They just all run after the ball, except for the goalie. Now, I was growing up at the time we lived in Lubbock. And I remember sitting in the goal. This is one of my first memories. I was sitting in the goal, picking at the grass, there's barely any grass in Lubbock. And I was picking at the grass there in the goal, and I look up, and I see this entire herd of children <laughs> running towards me. And I stood up and peed my pants <laughs> in front of the entire group of kids and parents. That's when anxiety became an issue in my life. I don't know about you, but can you remember those times where things went haywire, when when actually you chose things that you would never have chosen or things happened that you would have expected you wouldn't have wanted to happen, is it possible that the devil made those things happen? That the devil makes us waste time or lose our temper or think of any moment you've blown it in your life. Did the devil make you do it? Can the devil really make us do it? 
Now, for some of us here, we may be having a hard time with this idea of this unseen element of demons in this diabolical order led by Satan and by the devil. But I want you just for a moment, with an open mind, have you ever done something you look back and think, how did that happen? Or have you ever had a thought so evil pop into your head, it surprised you, even scared you? What if you could see the origin of that thought? What if that unseen force exists and is absolutely trying to destroy you and me? Now, I'm not talking about the cartoon character with the pointy tail and pitchfork that sells great tacos. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a real spiritual force that's working to bring destruction in your life. The origin of oppression and injustice and racism and abuse and all the evil that's in the world. Now, there's a historian, an objective, kind of rationally-minded man named Jeffrey Russell. Listen to how he describes humanity's attempts to understand evil. He points out that although modern people have tended to believe less and less in a supernatural evil force, the practical experience of evil has not decreased, but maybe even increased in our society. He goes on to say, our educated modern views have done nothing whatsoever to conquer the reality of the spiritual forces of evil that seem to be at work in the world. See, Russell notes how most cultures have attested to demonic spiritual forces at work throughout history. See, what we're talking about today is that there is a real battle being waged in the realm that we cannot see. There are dark forces at work in this world that are causing havoc, that are bringing about destruction. And we did an entire series on this called Realm. So we posted it already on our Gateway South Facebook uh, group uh, page. If you want to go there and, and you can read along all six of these messages or listen to the messages that we did a longer series on this. But I, I don't want us to be desensitized by the horror movies and the ghost stories and the haunted houses. I, but I also don't want us to be trapped in fear. Some of you are thinking, man, I'm glad I came to Gateway today. This is really encouraging. <laughs> I, but I want you to leave with hope. See, rather than becoming a victim of pop culture, we don't have to be frozen in fear, and we do not have to be victims of evil. That we might be predisposed towards certain struggles, but we are not predestined for them. See, the scriptures will, will give us a path out. Let me give you a few examples. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is writing to these other believers in a town called Ephesus. And actually, this letter was passed from church to church on down to us to help us know how to navigate the evil in the world around us. And he says this, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And what this should do for us is an acknowledgement that when we're in the world, a broken and messed up world, we are certainly the victims of other people's evil choices. And evil can actually become contagious. When someone is angry and triggered, they can actually trigger us and we can get angry and that anger begins to spread. Anxiety is contagious. Gossip is contagious. 
but actually we can become people who can overcome the evil that starts to bombard us. And it also should help us remember that people are not our enemy. The enemy is our enemy. That they are the victims oftentimes of the same diabolical methods that we can become victims to. And we need to extend grace to others just as others need to extend grace to us. But the scriptures continue. Peter says in his letter, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Even Jesus says in John 10.10 10, that Satan is like a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So should we be afraid? Should we hunker down, hide under the bed, keep our children inside at all times? Or is this a battle that we can win? With God's help, this is absolutely a battle that can be won. Look again at 1 Peter 5. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And then he goes on to say, and so resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. See, he tells us resist him, resist evil. He doesn't say fear him. He doesn't say ignore him. And if you're honest, maybe this week you've felt pushed around by darkness, overwhelmed by the temptations that seem to just keep coming at you. I want to encourage you that you can overcome. With God's help, you do not have to be the victims of temptation any longer. That we actually can stand firm. And so in order to help us understand the, the ways of the enemy, we can actually win this battle when we understand the tactics of the enemy and when we have the right equipment. Well, the enemy's tactic is, can be summarized in one word, lies. The darkness, evil, lies to us all the time. And there are different types of lies. And I want you to just listen to a few examples and see if one of these more than the others seems to be the tactic that darkness tries to use against you. Well, the first lie is this, God can't be trusted. This was the first tactic used in the Garden of Eden. Go ahead, eat from that tree. There's, there's more that God is holding out from you. God cannot be trusted. I don't know about you, but can you think of times in your life when you wanted to take matters into your own hands? That instead of trusting God with every area of your life. You trusted him with this and you trusted him with that, but there's another part that just, I don't know if I can trust God. What if I have to wait too long? What if he doesn't come through in the way I want him to come through? See, some of us, we struggle with financial security. We struggle with our dating life, with our job, with our spouse, with our school, and we, and we seem to just have areas of our life that we just hold on to, that we do not entrust to God because we're afraid that God doesn't have our best interest in mind. But obviously, this is a lie. God can be trusted in every area of our life. Which leads to the second lie. It's okay. You fill in the blank. You deserve it. You need it. You earned it. This lie seeps into our brain when things are going well. 
We feel like, you know what? All right, I'm making progress and things are exactly the way I wanted them to be. And all of a sudden, we, we feel like, you know what? I've made so much progress. It's okay if I smoke out another time. It's been a while. You know what? I, I know I should, shouldn't drink or at least take a break, but you know what? I'm going to just, it's okay. I've deserved it. I, I've earned it. I've, I've worked hard this week. See, all of our choices have consequences, and those consequences can be not only self-destructive, but can destroy those around us. There's an interesting story in the scriptures when David was king. Now, he had followed in the footsteps of Saul, and he was patient with God. See, Saul was the king when David was anointed to be king, and Saul did not like the idea of being replaced. And so Saul was out to kill David, and David even had opportunities to kill Saul, but, but David trusted God that in God's timing, he would have what was promised to him. And tragically, King Saul dies, David becomes king, and David wins and wins and starts to have such victories, and he unites the people of Israel. And in the midst of winning these battles, in the midst of these moments where he would seek after God and God would bring incredible clarity and guidance, the scriptures tell us in 1 Chronicles 21, verse 1, Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. That's an odd word we don't necessarily use a lot, incited. It means to urge, to persuade, to lure, to talk into. Satan was tempting David. It's okay, David. Go ahead. Count your men. You deserve to know. Now, I should be reminding you that anytime you read the scriptures and it doesn't necessarily make sense, just use the scriptures to interpret the scriptures. And remember, we're reading a story that's 3,000 years old and a time when everyone was like ISIS. And so sometimes you read things and it doesn't necessarily make sense. Why, for example, in this instance, is a census so evil? Why would Satan want David to take a census? How is that a terrible temptation? Well, David continued to ask God for wisdom, but we see in this moment that God did not, David did not ask God, what should I do? He has this thought of counting all his people. See, a census was evil in God's eyes because a man only had the right to count or number what belonged to him. Israel did not belong to David. Israel belonged to God. I also think David was overconfident by his recent successes, and now he was trying to expand his kingdom for his wealth and glory rather than God's. And what we see just a few verses before this is that David was becoming just as evil as the other kings around him. In fact, he had taken the Ammonites, and after defeating them, he had enslaved them. David was becoming more like the Pharaoh than the godly king that God desired. See, it was in the midst of a good season that he stopped asking God for guidance and help and became arrogant. And in the midst of his pride, rather than relying on God, he relied on himself. So it says, Satan rose up against Israel and incited David. See, what Satan was really after was God's people. He was trying to get David to do something. He cannot make David, he cannot make us do anything. 
But the problem is David listened to him. And there's this interesting moment where Joab, the commander of David's army, came to David and said, David, you're making a big mistake. Don't do this. And David refused to listen. See, sometimes God brings people into our lives as messengers. That when we're incited by darkness and evil to go down the wrong path, sometimes there are people that love us enough to have a hard conversation. Are we willing to listen to them? In this case, David was not. David had every opportunity to resist the lie, but he gave in. And as a result, the painful consequences of his action were the death of many people in Israel. The third lie is this. It has to be done now. Don't wait on God. Do it now. No time to pray, no time to seek godly counsel. You have to do this now. There will never be an opportunity like right now. Do this now. When your thoughts start to sound like that greedy salesman, <laughs> that may be darkness. The best way to make a decision is to take the time to, to go to God through the scriptures, through prayer, to allow God to speak to you through the counsel of people who are further along in their journey. And the fourth lie is simply this. You can handle this on your own. It's the isolation lie. See, the enemy is trying to keep us isolated, alone in the pasture. Little sheep, lonely sheep are easier to destroy. When a prowling lion sees a, a flock of sheep, is that what they're called? A group of sheep, a herd of sheep. I'm not a farmer, I'm not sure. But, but you are protected when you're with the shepherd, with, you're with the other sheep, but if a sheep wanders off, it's almost certain that the lion will be able to devour. That's why it's so critical that we are not only connected to God, but that we're connected in community. That there are others we allow speak into our life, others that we speak into their lives. We talked about this last week, but one of the signs of maturity is your willingness to ask for help. It's pride that keeps us from asking for help. It's pride that keeps us in a position of thinking we've got it all covered, that we can handle this on our own. Or the flip side of that is believing, you know what, it will never get better. I will always have this struggle. In fact, you stop even considering a struggle. It's just who you are. When in reality, God wants to do more than he could ever more than you and I could ever ask or imagine. He wants to bring freedom in areas that have been enslaving your family generation after generation. Don't believe the lie that this is all there is or that you can handle this on your own. See, when Satan can control what we believe, then he can control how we live. But 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we looked at this passage last week and saw how it's been mis applied when it comes to trials, but it is perfect application is when it comes to temptation. Listen to 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. What I love about this passage, it gives us so much one, you are facing things that, that the enemy will try to make you think only you are facing, that no one else has this problem, that no one else will under, ever understand, and that's not true. 
We are facing what's common to humanity. Attack on our soul. Attack on our credibility. Attack on our willingness to trust God. But the beauty is in the midst of these attacks common to humanity, God is faithful. He is bigger than the temptations we face. He enables us the power to endure the temptations. We do not have to give in. There's always a way out. See, the problem is sometimes we just stop looking for the door. When you're overwhelmed, when you find yourself going down that same path or down a dark new path, the scriptures tell us we don't have to go that way, but to instead stop and look for the door. Listen to this other passage. From 2 Corinthians 10, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. So we looked at the enemy's tactics, now let's look at the right equipment. See, spiritual weapons, the scriptures tell us in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians, can demolish strongholds. See, on the contrary, these weapons, these spiritual weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. See, the spiritual battle that is being waged around us, it's all right here. And here's what's amazing. When we surrender our lives to follow Jesus, when we ask him to lead us and guide us, he can actually help us win the battle and it will change not only how we think but how we live. And that's how God's kingdom comes to earth as it is in heaven. When women and men fully surrender to God, don't give in to the temptations, but instead bring light into the midst of the darkness. See, God wants to give you victory and give you freedom because he wants you to experience freedom and the people around you to experience freedom. Remember, the enemy was trying to get to Israel through David. The enemy is trying to destroy your family through you. The enemy is trying to destroy your friends, your roommates, the people with whom you work, your neighbors through you. He is after God's family. But you and I can rise above with God's help. We can take every thought captive. When a diabolical evil thought comes crashing into your mind, that is a reminder that, wait a second, that's not true. That's trash. And if we start to take every thought captive and take it through a grid of the scriptures and prayer and godly counsel, when you have a thought, you're not sure if it's from God or if it's evil or if it's even your own personal desire, you can tell when it begins to take you to a place that's more selfless. That's from God. When it requires courage, that's from God. When it matches his character in the scriptures, that thought is from God. The thoughts of selfishness, the thoughts of darkness will lead to destruction, not just your own, but to those that you care for. The other part that's important to know is when you agree to a lie, you actually give the darkness, the enemy, the devil, a foothold. And the more you say yes and begin to agree to the lies, that foothold becomes a stronghold. But the beautiful thing is that God came and lived among us to destroy sin and death. 
actually lived a perfect life and died on the cross and rose from the dead and actually comes to live within and guide each person that surrenders and says, I need you. On my own, I am stuck in the dark. See, Jesus brings light. And that light can so fill us and shine through us that we can become people who are bringing God's kingdom from heaven to earth. See, we are more than conquerors with Jesus. See, the way you combat the lie is with truth. And the scriptures tell us, Jesus says, I am the truth. The truth is not a set of intellectual beliefs. The truth is a person. Every thought we have, when we filter it through the grid of Jesus and his sacrificial death on the cross, then all of a sudden we begin to see the world differently. God's upside-down kingdom. The devil may have lured you to do something once or a thousand times, but you don't have to do it again. The weapons that we use to battle are described in Ephesians chapter 6. And I want to encourage you, every week we have these next steps, and you can dive a little deeper with using this, pick them up at the Connect Spot, or just go to gatewaychurch.com slash next steps, and there's more passages and questions that you can work through with your roommates, with your family, over the dinner table, or with your life group. But you'll notice these weapons are things like God's word and worship and community and prayer. It's called the full armor of God. What I want to invite you to do in this moment is I just want you to consider where have you allowed your mind, your thoughts to wander into the dark? Maybe God has given you a gift and unfortunately that gift has become your God. Something you prayed for and longed for, you now have it and now it's become more important than the one you sought to receive it. Or maybe there's an area of your life you've just given up on, you've just assumed I'll always be like this or it will never get better. What is it, what is the truth that you need to proclaim that's going to help you defeat the lie. One thing to help you as you begin to take your thoughts captive, begin to replace the lie with the truth, there will be moments where you're feeling great, you're doing well, you're, you're in a, a beautiful place, you're experiencing peace and joy and love and kindness, and then all of a sudden another diabolical evil thought pops in your head. And you'll be tempted to think, oh, I'll never get any better. But actually that temptation is a reminder, it is not a sin to be tempted. Every time you're tempted is an opportunity to turn back to Jesus. A friend of ours doesn't yet follow Jesus. She struggles with anxiety and it's even hard for her to get out of her house. And one night she just felt just kind of overcome with dark thoughts. And she'd been kind of in and out of Gateway. And during that Imagine Heaven series, she was here and she did something that she heard us talk about. She just said the name of Jesus in the midst of the dark thoughts. It was her own little way. She just said, Jesus, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus. The power of the name Jesus somehow gave her peace and those dark thoughts disappeared. You may not have all the words to say, but there's one word you need. 
His name is Jesus.